Hi everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Math Therapy Sessions podcast. Our guest for today is Dr. Ratnadeep Patil. He's a dentist with over 35 years of experience. He's the MD of Smile Care Clinics Private Limited in Mumbai. He has completed his postgraduate studies in implantology from New York University. Dr. Patil has also completed his PhD in implant aesthetics from the Netherlands. He's currently devoted to his healthcare startup Top Doc. The audio podcast is available on Spotify and Anchor. The links to that and the description down below. Drop a like if you like this video and consider subscribing if you end up loving it. And also don't forget to comment down below your thoughts on the podcast. Till then, enjoy the episode. So Dr. Patil, what is Top Doc? Uh Topdoc is an uh, health tech education platform okay to digitally give access to dentists mm-hmm. across the country uh, that's the first offering that we are given okay. it will be for the healthcare mm-hmm. but uh, we start with the vertical of dentistry first and it's purely focusing on the clinical needs of a clinician try to empower him with the current knowledge clinical methods also about the business of what he's doing you know so it's only for dentists right now right now it's only for dentists okay okay so do you plan to incorporate uh, like the entire healthcare system or is it just going to be purely exclusively for dentists uh, no it it's right now it's purely for dentists as we go ahead for the next couple of years we focus on dentistry itself okay and then we will also uh, you know get into some other uh, areas which mm-hmm. are of concern for those clinicians so got it so what all comes under top doc so top doc is uh, purely i mean predominantly education related to digital transfer of knowledge okay. but it's also having blended learning which is a little bit of offline and little bit of online learning mm. uh, which allows the clinician to do both uh, and in today's setting it makes it more viable and economical and uh, you know it's it's also something that you can keep visiting again and again mm. so you know you don't have to keep making notes or doing things you know so it's easier for you so what's your vision for it where do you want to take top doc well in the next 5 years i want at least uh, half of the practicing dentists to get benefited by using the knowledge that is available on top doc for the benefit of their patients okay that's where we are really heading towards and that's what we want to achieve understood so it's a it's a blend of uh, offline and online yes it's predominantly online okay but it has an offline component also in terms of blended learning mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> see uh, what happens if if you just purely have an offline model mm. it's a two day or a three day workshop and right. after that participants go home mm. they really can't remember everything that has been taught true true and there is no revision possible right here you have something that you take back with you which you can keep for a year you can even continue it in case you need to got it so you can refer those cases you can refer those clinical situations that the clinician has taught you and you can revisit that so you can do a proper follow up after absolutely and mm. that's what is missing in the offline session mm. programs mm. and sometimes you know you're, you're too tired and to get everything at the first go you know when you revisit it you can understand what you missed out on. got it got yes it. gives you a great opportunity of uh, revising what you have learned and also if you have a case suddenly you have a case and you want to go and revisit a case that you saw your mentor taught you you can go back look at that case and 
execute it on the next day in your clinic. So it becomes an easy, uh, you know, uh, method of, uh, you know, putting it into application. Got it. Yes. So how is Top Dog different from the rest? Well, uh, if you compare the online and offline learning, uh, I would say that uh, because it gives you a digital uh, possibility, an online possibility of learning, right? Um, the engagement with the dentist is far more deeper. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> also accessibility. I mean, we have students from Northeast, from uh, different parts of the country. And also it is also... It- is it international too? Yes, we have 80 locations in okay. the world who are now joined uh, our education venture and there. So there are participants from 80 locations uh, mm. from several countries. So, you know, yes, and this is possible. Mm. The reach is very big. So I, I think uh, that's the difference between what is regular continuing education with an offline model versus Got it. So, online so, you know, who's your target audience? Is it only uh, dentists who have just passed out or is it for everyone? Uh, people who have been out of touch from clinical dentistry or someone want to learn something new uh, even after, you know, practicing for 10 years. Say. Yeah, yeah. so there are different models. I mean, uh, it's for people who just passed out, people okay. who are not yet passed out mm-hmm. coming up, people who uh, want to decide what areas of dentistry they should be working on. So advisory coming soon. Uh, It's for clinicians who are looking at owning their skills in specific areas of dentistry, different specialities of dentistry. Mm. Also for people who want to start a clinic, how to start, what to to invest in, why to invest in, how to select which location you want to uh, actually start your practice, why and scientifically, Mm. not just by hearsay or by looking at a location. So making it very holistic for uh, the journey of a dentist and a clinician. Uh, so uh, it's it's also for senior people who want to really go back and learn a few things that they would otherwise not get opportunity to you know go and learn. Mm. So it's 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 going to have uh, I mean people from every aspect of dentistry getting benefited. So it's it uh, I mean there's clinical management, there's how to set up your own practice. Or, not just clinical dentistry, no. what happens behind the scenes. Behind the scene also, you know, how to take a loan, how much loan, oh, okay. what should be, you know, done. And we, 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 we kind of interact with the mm. dentist, understand his needs. So we are kind of hand-holding him for those skills mm. that dental schools are not offering at all. Got so it. that really, because dentistry is like, dentists are entrepreneurs. Mm. They want to set up everything on their own. So they need to have those skills to become successful. And a lot of people fail because they don't have those skills. Got it. Apart from the clinical skills and the knowledge, which of course is another thing which is missing. So integrating all of these things, it can truly unleash the potential of young dentists into good entrepreneurs. So it's actually using digital, um, you know, uh, the digital way of communication to yes. the next level. Absolutely. And we have AI on our, our system. So okay. we, we will have artificial intelligence of understanding the needs of various levels of dentists and help them to really uh, do better and better. I, I personally think this might be beneficial to a lot of dentists uh, and health, uh, like in rural areas who cannot travel to big absolutely, cities. Absolutely. Uh, in second cities, in rural areas, the cost of travel, the cost of stay to come to bigger cities is prohibitive. 
So I was going to ask you that uh, are you targeting uh, those dentists more because uh, what your plan is can we like a big boon for them they don't need to travel all the way to city stay there they can be at the comfort of their own area and learn all the new advances in dentistry absolutely so in the last year and two months we have uh, we have more than 11000 dentists Uh, close to eleven and a half thousand dentists who are enrolled on the platform. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of free courses. There are a bunch of paid courses, and we represent more than two hundred and eighty locations from the country. Wow! And this is only in the matter of fourteen uh, months. So we are truly uh, reached out in villages, in smaller towns, mm. apart from the bigger cities. Right. Yes. So if you can share with us what's next for Top Doc in two thousand twenty-two and two thousand twenty-three, if you could share something about it. Well, uh, nothing. We just continue this. We also are going to, uh, you know, allow uh, formal programs to get integrated in the digital landscape. So, you know, there will be a lot of other activities which will happen. Working with multiple partners uh, who are into this field of education, uh, universities. So, I mean, the journey will continue. You know, it's it's purely education. Uh, you know, customizing multiple programs, management mm-hmm. programs, all of it for the dentist. will be a part of our goal in the next couple sounds of lovely so you have also done your phd can you tell us something more about it what was the topic and why did you feel the need to do a phd yeah so i did my phd pretty late in my life but, but i took about 9 and a half years to go through the phd program and uh, it was in europe so and it's the toughest area place to get a phd from right and that i ch- i kind of challenge myself that i want to get this um and the the path was quite steep mm. but it was exciting and i wanted to learn uh, uh, from the real guys uh, research that would enable us to uh, you know uh, for me to understand Uh, you know to read research properly to understand plus also get involved in that activity uh, and to really learn the systems that we unfortunately uh, don't see in our country right uh, so uh, those those 9 and 1/2 years were uh, real get experience for me and i enjoyed so uh, it was predominantly because i wanted to work in a specific field of mm. interest and uh, you know i right found the right people uh, to work with so it was very exciting so so uh, what was the topic your so phd topic the topic was on implant aesthetics it implant was about aesthetics. yes it was more from the soft tissue perspective of implantology uh, and you know aesthetics when we talk about aesthetics it's it also uh, talks about health around right because mm. poor aesthetics can also mean that there is a deterioration of health right because of various reasons mm. so uh, it was about uh, attachment of the soft tissue on the implant and the abutment surfaces and how do you make it a long term success mm. and uh, what are the real ways in which the tissue attaches to the metal surfaces mm. uh, because uh, the attachment apparatus is important for aesthetics as well as for health mm. so disease starts with the losing the attachment and of course uh, so we are solving two problems not only the aesthetics but also the long term uh, success of an implant and the peri implant health of tissues right uh, and working against uh, you know peri implant mucositis and peri implantitis in the longer run so it is a very interesting topic and i thought you know if we can do a clinical by comparing two different ways of doing it 
on clinically on patients it might take 5 6 years to get the data but it will be interesting because mm. clinical uh, uh, actual clinical comparative uh, theses is far more significant in terms of what you achieve right uh, so it was very exciting journey so how was the phd journey if you can tell us in brief it, it, it was 9 1/2 years long and it, it was in europe so i so, mean how- so you know they don't charge you uh, any fee for your phd in europe once they enroll okay. you for a phd mm-hmm. they don't guarantee you a phd and okay. that's why they don't charge you a fee <laughs> okay. so what they do is they say if you can uh, you know publish uh, uh, three articles in the top journals out of the five articles and your promoter hmm. likes what you're doing right he will promote you for the phd so it's an open ended phd they are not bound to give you a phd because they don't charge you any fees in fact so the, so you start with that as the first basis so mm. your commitment has to be much higher right than just getting uh, a degree right or a doctorate right uh, the second thing was that uh, it was so enjoyable to work with these folks in holland uh, i mean i never lived my life where i would cycle to work and come back on a cycle and uh, you know i i used to just enjoy my time in holland and you know i i just enjoyed I, i never made a lot of pictures of myself with everybody i'm not a person who like uh, you know involved in other things but i truly enjoyed what i did mm. there uh, i was with nature all the time and learning a lot uh, very very serious kind of workers when it comes to time and also they have their own way of enjoying life <laughs> so i truly enjoyed those nine and a half years experience uh, in um, the netherlands right when i would uh, go for my phd uh, you know interactions uh, with my promoters so it was a great time so how was the phd ceremony because i saw a few photos and they looked like uh, right in a castle and where like you know where yeah so so it's very interesting so they pay you for the phd they they arrange for the phd ceremony okay and they also arrange a party for you mm-hmm. uh, so they pay you and they pay you for your thesis mm. so it's reverse so the student doesn't pay for anything and entire money is paid it's by crazy. this it's crazy it's i don't you know <laughs> i never knew all of these things um so they 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 do all the arrangements now how does it happen you know mm. so the promoter is one guy and there are six other examiners so they they send your work to three people or uh, more than three people who read it and they like it and they say okay we will support this guy for his phd so those three people and the promoter becomes four out of seven mm. that's why you get your phd right? right and that's how the the final uh, exam happens and in, it's an open exam anybody can go and sit uh, mm. it's like a it's like a court room right where you have people from the public as well as you can bring your relatives and all you know you're going to get your phd but the biggest stress that your promoter and you have is you have to not get 4 is to 3 mm. you have to get 6 is to 1 or 7 is to 0 no i mean 7 wow. should be your uh, aim so he's always stressed because he doesn't want so then they fly examiners from all parts of the world 7 mm. minutes per examiner 42 minutes for the phd session and it's all stressful mm. and you are like uh, you know you have to defend what you're saying uh and so it's 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 very very uh, intense but it just passes once it starts you know and if you know your subject you're okay 
I mean, you can answer. So, you know, you're prepared because right. you've done so much of work. Mm. So I think it's not so tough, but it's, you know, you have to answer different people, different minds, different questions, uh, different specialities related to implantology. So it's a, it's a great job. Right. So uh, it's all there recorded on a on a CD, yeah. raw, no? so it's also, when I look at it, sometimes I say, oh my God, did I say that? And how did I say it? So exciting. So when you finally got a PhD, how did you feel? I mean, well, I was excited. I was excited to get my doctorate, but I also was very sad that I'm not going to be going like a student anymore <laughs> and enjoying those times because I truly loved those times. Mm. Uh, I, long walks, uh, mountainside walks, going by the small lakes. You know, I could do so many things, you know, which I, I miss out on. So I did enjoy uh, the whole ceremony and, you know, I had 20 people from the family and friend group who traveled to the Netherlands for mm. the PhD. So we had a great time and we also toured uh, Europe after that. So it was, it's a good moment for me that I, I, I did my doctorate and, you know, I was happy to, to finish it as well. So it was both, you know. So what ha have those nine years taught you while doing your PhD? Well, it's taught me a lot. It's taught me the way in which you should have discipline to do your work. Uh, how do you really uh, get to your, you know, final goals when mm -hmm. you're doing a research doctorate, um, you know, the patience and the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of patience and the kind of commitment that you have to continuously show. It's not a joke. Right. Because you, you can easily lose it. Mm. Um, so it taught me a lot. It also told me uh, so many things about overall about life. Because when you meet different people who are doing different kinds of work, uh, you, you learn a lot from them. Uh, so met with a lot of young and old teachers in different groups. Mm. Uh, so I, it's given me a lot. It's given me a sense of belief uh, in uh, what my concepts were that, you know, I wanted to do something for the benefit of whoever was it right. uh, related to me. It was a patient or a student. And so it made me feel good about what I did. And it was uh, the best choice that I made. So when we speak about implant aesthetics, you're passionate about placing and, you know, restoring implants. So how did that love for implants start and how you did a program in NYU? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so that was... How did you get into implant? How did a love start? So, you know, I, out of dental school in Mumbai, um, um, I was very lucky to get a visa for the US. And this is, I'm talking of late 80s. Right. Um, and it was a visitor's visa. They, they stamped me a six-month visa. Hmm. And I got into a four-month program of dental implantology. Okay. Uh, and this was way back. Nobody, you know, knew of a program then. It was at NYU. And my teachers were people like Gerald Nesnik, who invented the internal hex. Wow. Uh, Linkow, who's father of implantology, senior guy, of course, with blade implants as well. And Charles Charlie Weiss. Three of them I remember clearly. And of course, there were a bunch of young guys who were prominent implantologists. And at NYU, the, 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 the program was thrice a week mm -hmm. and it was for about three and a half or four months of duration. So I, I was in the U.S. for that long. So what happened was uh, the learning was great. Uh, I could learn from mentors at those days and senior mentors who had practiced implantology for several years before. So I really thoroughly enjoyed and for me it was, and it was I was fresh like a sponge. My brain was 
going to capture and get everything that I could. Mm. So it was a great feeling for me uh, to learn implantology, understand the subject. So what was the best thing you learned there in those few months there? Well, luckily in those days, the concept of implant dentistry being a prosthetically driven science mm. uh, and uh, the concept that what Professor Branama thought implants were, mm. which was osteointegration, right. uh, is not actually integration, but the closest approximation of bone, and there is a gap between bone and implant, was already al al already existing. So my knowledge was completely current at those days. And there were the times when there were going to be a lot of surfaces coming out, new implant designs. So it was an exciting time. Mm. And Nisnik was himself uh, teaching this program and he had patented his internal hex. Right. Uh, so attachments and prosthetics. So, so I think my biggest take back was that at a very early age, I realized that implant dentistry is a prosthetically driven science. And osteointegration, uh, what we thought was something different than what was seen under a simple microscope. Right. These two things led me to understand and go into more of biology and follow that as a passion. So it was exciting time for me. So you have been in the implantology scene since last, I think, three decades now. You've seen the evolution of implants over the years. So what is implant, like, you know, being, in, I mean, how has, it, how has it evolved? What has the evolution of implants been like? So I, I think all of these concepts which were there uh, originally were going to change and you know both things have happened good and bad. Uh, the good things are that research has allowed us to get better products out, right. uh, better engineered products, uh, the concepts are better, prosthetically we are far more better today, we understand and of course uh, the negatives have been that there's been too much of uh, research which is not relevant, irrelevant right. research which has been pushed which is not clinically significant. Like mm. for example, a certain thing done in implantology allows a bone to stay 0.001 millimeters more after five years. And you can't even see 0.001 millimeter in the patient's mouth. Mm. So, uh, so then you change a technique and change a method or change an implant just because it gives you a benefit of X on one study. Right. So those kind of research studies are also being promoted to take and, and you know, uh, doctors fall prey to this because they don't know how to read research. So immediately they pick it up from the company and they start talking about it in lectures and, you know, they almost seem to be convinced that this is the whole thing, you know. So uh, that is something which also is not great. So there are two things which have happened in the last several years. So I think I'm, I'm looking at it and it's going to be but a part of... But it has evolved for the positive. Of course, it's evolved for the positive. There will be pluses and minuses mm. uh, and, you know, it's it's business for people. So they're going to push certain right, things right. in their direction. So it's it's a world of, you know, today's world, you're going to have all of these things, right? So that's going to happen. So you went to the US first time in the 1980s and since then you have been going almost every year. So. What transition or what change have you seen in NYU from your perspective? Well, NYU was a much more simpler kind of an university when I went there first. And it, it got a lot of grants and it just became a grand five-star university in front of my eyes. So it's really changed from what it was. What I liked about NYU was they were very democratic in their approach. They were very inclusive of private-public private partnerships.
uh, and it being a private school right uh, and with with some kind of uh, responsibility towards the government also uh, it did a great job of uh, uh, getting uh, a lot of uh, good mentors on the bandwagon mm. a lot of part time good clinicians from the world could come there and that's how they really improved their brand right so i think for a college to progress you have to be very progressive in the mind you have to bring new systems more digitalization yes whenever possible but you also need to get good teachers right even part time teachers who can contribute and they, there should be a purpose for those teachers to mm. come there right that's Why a good they point coming yeah. there yeah. and if you can make all of these things happen your institute can be one of the leading institutions and so that's what i've seen with nyu and being the biggest continuing education provider in the world as an institution i don't think anybody even is 10% of what nyu has done in continuing education um, so i could learn a lot from them that's quite impressive so and what about new york as a city wow that's that's my uh, city of choice i mean uh, i in fact uh, miss not going to new york every year uh, if and i did miss in the last couple of years because right. of covid so new york is gives you inspiration it's got the energy mm. you know i walked in new york city so i i think i, I get energized when i go to new york so it new ideas mm. you know new thoughts so it's very refreshing i love the city so it's it, very close to mumbai yeah, uh, the way it is but of course much more evolved in right. in the sense much more little bit more disciplined mm. i would say but uh, you know it's yeah far organize me got it so what would your advice be for students out there and clinicians who want to start placing implants for purely for beginners uh well for beginners there are two things important they have to understand the processes the prosthetic implications the end results uh, the occlusion hmm. before they even place their first implant right because uh, placing the implant is like more like uh, you know uh, making a certain procedure in the bone and placing a screw with a certain protocol which i think is not so tough hmm. um of course surgical skills are required understanding of surgical anatomy is required directions orientations but to understand the prosthetic end results uh, the aesthetic end results hmm. and more so the long term success parameters are more important as uh, uh, a young dentist because you don't want to do something wrong hmm. because if you do your first 10 cases and they're not right you might just get away from it and of course uh you have to also read relevant stuff right you have to pick up hmm. you need to find good mentors hmm. because everybody wants to teach implants hmm. but you have to understand you should be intelligent to find good mentors you should do all your research to understand uh who to learn from what there are multiple teachers and you have to learn those things from different different people maybe but you should know whom to learn what from so i think that's the more intelligent you are in that in selecting mm. how you want to get trained will also make a difference in how you would possibly do your best in implantology so you, you need to nail the basics you need to find a good mentor and you need to keep doing it yes and to understand the end result and what you want to gain out of it got it uh, as a end result from the perspective of the patient mm-hmm. uh, and general health overall health yes so you also are into 
aesthetic dentistry yes uh, and you do a lot of aesthetic cases so can you share something about that too well it all started when i was in uh, new york trying to do the implant program okay uh, where uh, i had nothing to do the rest of the week so i went to my uh, director and said what do i do can you help me and he mm. said oh this gentleman here who is an aesthetic dentist i spoke to him and he said you can go and watch him for the next so he was months. a dentist in nyu or he was a part of your program oh the uh, he the was he was teaching at nyu but okay. he had a private practice in new york city understood uh, uh, his name is larry rosenthal one of the big guys there who was also pushed a lot of money uh, to nyu as uh, you know and he has a institute by his name there right so um, so i was with the, i so you were with larry. him yes i i was blessed to observe him uh, while he was doing his veneer cases and treating all the film stars at those times mm. uh, flying from hollywood and learning so much new things That's which i never <laughs> we never had ex- exposed to neither never I, did i believe that uh, this could be happening in dentistry i'm talking of it and you years were, back yeah, yeah and you were a dental student right from india from bombay and, and you were like you know so i was lucky to get my visa and then lucky to be at nyu and then lucky to find uh, and Beecham as my director mm. who was who liked me right from the beginning and he helped me a lot so i mean everything happened but it's also your persistent uh, pursuit of getting knowledge it's just not luck dog i think it's because no, it's, you were so persistent so, so in those days uh, we never really had access to internet so or anything to find out which was a good course and what was happening so I had my elder brother live in the US right. and he found this for me. Hmm. So those days it used to be somebody who was in the US who would find things for you. Everything was, you know, so you had to send a written application with a uh, with a registered post, uh, the Indian post you had to believe that it will reach within uh, the next few weeks. So it was scary whether it will reach or not, you know, those were the times. Right, right. So uh, so that's how uh, it happened. Uh, but uh, so he found things and i reviewed it with whatever i could understand and i was interested in surgery i was interested to understand what's happening new and so that's how it happened so when you started working with dr rosenthal how was the experience i mean what parts of aesthetic dentistry did you pick up so first you? thing i understood is that dentistry is how you manage the practice okay dentistry is not about just going and sitting on the chair and doing something for the patient how does the patient feel when he enters the practice mm. what does he uh, think of the practice how is the value of the practice enhanced right when the patient enters the dental clinic uh, how important are your front desk people your staff your systems your inventory management systems you know your recall systems all of that is something that i could immediately see because in those days uh, nothing of this was even thought about mm. uh, majorly in india and especially coming from a dental school right uh, i don't know whether it's thought about even today but i'm talking of my days and um, that was my first exposure mm. apart from seeing cases and i was kind of amazed to see veneers which are so thin been stuck on the teeth and then i found out that they would pay so much money eventually for these things and i was kind of shocked because that that money was obnoxious money so we are still talking about the 80s <laughs> yes 90s you 90s. say late 80s 90s yes so that's that's early 90s i mean 
just about nine planes. So that's that was my experience. So, uh, according to you, what's the most important aspect in aesthetic dentistry? Well, um, I think to create aesthetics, uh, the most important is uh, the aesthetics has to be created, keeping the face of the person in mind, mm. uh, and that's number one. And number two is um, assessing the occlusion, the overall uh, relationship of the upper and the lower teeth. Right. So. Uh, the keeping customizing aesthetic treatments for faces and learning that is very important. So I don't think aesthetics can be standardized unless and until you understand what face are you doing it for. So yes. why is the concept of occlusion you know so important? Because be it aesthetic, be it restorative dentistry, why is it so important? Because I see you talking about a lot about occlusion in implants and veneers. So, why is it so important? The reason why you will succeed in dentistry is because you have managed the occlusion of the patient well. Whenever you wow. see a lot of flaws in dentistry happening, it can be related to occlusion in a major way. Um, when you start with occlusion, the incisal edge of the maxillary central incisor uh, is very important because when you actually open your mouth and close your mouth, mm. the first contact of your tooth is in the anteriors. Right. And so, where does it contact? You mm. know, what, where is the edge position, the angle of the tooth, the position of the central incisor? So, occlusion uh, almost starts if you have a correct position of the maxillary central incisors and its relationship with the lower teeth in mm. terms of overjet overbite. So that's the reason why I believe that unless you have an understanding of occlusion and really, uh, you know, you can have failures both in aesthetic dentistry, restorative dentistry and implantology. So there's a direct contact between occlusion function and aesthetics. Absolutely. And all, and, and there is, there, so it always, there is a, there is a confluence of all these three things. I mean, speech is related to uh, the space available between the upper and the lower teeth and the alignment of the upper teeth and the relationship with the lips. So, uh, swallowing reflex. Hmm. It's got to do with, uh, you know, your overall occlusion as well, right? Because right. if it's not in the right direction, you will have abnormal loading on teeth. So, everything is correlated to each other. And, you know, there is a science which binds all these things right. together. The moment a dentist understands the relationships of all of these three things, he can become a master in his field. So mastering occlusion is the key success to... I think it's a, a mastering as well as understanding a correlation between the multiple aspects of mm. function is the, 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 the key area in which uh, you need to focus. That will give you great results. Got it. Yeah. Just theoretically understanding occlusion is no good. So, when we go back to your early BDS days, how was it? I mean, why did, first of all, why did, because your father's a doctor. So, one was, why did you choose to become a dentist and not a doctor? So, I, I never thought I was going to be a dentist. I okay. was fourth on the wait list at uh, Grand Medical College. Mm. And I just thought I will join something because by the time I get Grand Medical, I have to do something. And I just... Uh, uh, applied to a dental school and I just got admitted because and that's how I started actually dentistry. Uh, it was only after the first year of dentistry that I really started liking it. Hmm. So, you know, that's a different story. 
but initially i never started dentist uh, got into dentistry because i had any idea of dentistry or any love for dentistry specifically so any uh, like one high point and one low point of your you know undergrad days yeah the, so um, when i joined dentistry in the first month itself there is to be uh, uh, the best uh, uh, entrant prize you know for the male and the female yeah. there is to call it something do they mr fresher mr fresher and mrs yeah. so you were the mr so I, i became the mr fresher that was a high point you know <laughs> i never expected all all my life that mm. i would be selected like a mr fresher and um, that was the highest point as soon as i got into dentistry and there was so much of uh, sudden uh, photographs taken those days were not the digital days yeah the flag and, one yeah i mean I, i it was uh, it was a high point mm. in my life mm. and the low point also came the same year a few months later 6 7 months later when they suddenly announced that now it's going to be internal assessment mm. so you have to uh, appear for all your exams and get your marks based on all the unit tests and all the vivas and and uh, it was i was 7 months late because i didn't attend any of those sessions <laughs> so that was the low point and i just suddenly realized that my god we were we were we were thinking that it's going to be only annual uh, exams so i think i had both my high and the lows in the first Got year it. itself so how was the overall bds experience for you well actually fantastic because uh, government dental college is next to st george hospital mm. so we had a lot of people Uh, who were studying post graduation of medicine also in the same campus um uh, we had the hostel also in the same campus multiple canteens um a, a big area you know right. uh, small basketball court itself in in the, in the same campus, premises yeah. so uh, we had a great time not only age and we had great teachers as well mm. because those days uh, dental schools in india were limited right and there were these stalwarts who used to teach us and uh, they were like very disciplined guys and they were very stylish they used to wear coats and suits and ties uh, when they came for work i mean all my professors i remember used to wear coats and ties you know they looked very stylish uh, so dentistry was a profession of stylish people it was kind of a elite profession right and i remember those days when we used to go for conferences uh, we had to wear coats to go there it was completely different and people used to have shining shoes and it was a different profession right it was quite a respectable looking profession uh, a lot of uh, in mumbai a lot of parsis and gujaratis were in the profession then right right senior guys and they maintained it very well you know so um, it was a very different time for us so you all had good role models fantastic role models uh, <clears throat> great great colleagues lot of sports activities and lot of movie theaters around us because i was in uh, uh south, south bombay so multiple four or five movie theaters <laughs> a lot of movie theaters so lot of parties <laughs> we, we had a great time you had a great time so uh, you know looking back are there any things which you wish you should have done more in your undergrad <laughs> days or you know not regrets per se but something <laughs> what do you think back and you should have done more of that yeah <clears throat> i think what what we missed out was to interact with the dentists from other colleges okay and other regions so there wasn't any real uh, student meeting which was uh, across multiple uh, states mm. 
where there could be interactions. I don't know whether they exist any, even now to a very serious extent. But I, I generally feel that if you want to spread the knowledge of uh, any field throughout, it should start from the student. And it should not just be reading papers. Hmm. There should be some interactive sessions on a very regular basis where multiple colleges interact. That's how the whole country will grow at the same time. And also there will be competition between Exchange colleges. Exchange of ideas also. Exchange of a lot of young ideas. Young ideas yeah. And, uh, you know, so all of that was, I think, I missed out then. And I think it's probably still, even now but that's, it's missed but, out. But that's not your fault. Like, you know, that's yeah, I mean, that. that's, I would, I would, if I want to change something, I would love to do that. Because oh, it okay. would be really very nice. Any special uh, memory or funny incident which you can remember for your, from your BDS days which you would like to share with us? Yeah, I mean, lot of them. Anyone, lot, lot any? of them. Yes, I mean, I mean, in government dental college, Mumbai, there used to be funny incidences every day. Okay? Mm. But one, one, one very uh, early on in my life was when uh, I went into second year. Mm-hmm. I was waiting to rag people <laughs> um, because there was some kind of ragging. You know, mm. It was friendly, but yes. So I was so excited. I found a new face, and I, I thoroughly <laughs> ragged that guy uh, in the elevator, and he came out and I said, you do this. And he, he almost did everything, you know. Uh, and at the end of half an hour, 40 minutes, uh, he just smiled at me and said, I've just joined first year of Master of Dental Surgery course. <laughs> so he was a senior. So he was a senior. <laughs> he looked like a junior. And I, I was like a, a tall guy then. And I thought I was doing a great job. And oh, that sure. is the most funniest incidence because I was taken for a ride. <laughs> oh, so he was playing along. He was playing around. He 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 understood that I was from the second year. And he, he but he looked he looked absolutely uh, you know childish and young. But he, he he was intelligent. He understood, and right. he was playing around. And after half an hour, he just uh, said that uh, suddenly he took me to the head of the department. Said, oh, sir, he's a young student from this thing, you know. And I'm just joining MDS, so you know it was shocking, you know. So did you get into trouble for that? No, no, no. I didn't get into trouble because already people. I mean, everybody knew me because yeah. of the. You are the, the Mr. Fresher. Mr. Fresher <laughs> and stuff like that. So it was, and, and I was it. pretty cool and I was not, so people were, I, mean, I was grateful to all my teachers. They they allowed me to do what I yeah. I did, you know, and not really trouble me. I wasn't really troubled. And then post that incident, were you friends with the... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> of course, of course, friends with that guy. In fact, he helped me also a lot. Mm. Uh, he eventually, he was doing periodontology and, uh, yeah, but so... It was good. So it's friendly banter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, not, like, for example, right now you're teaching a lot of BDS students also. Yes. So what's the main difference you feel between stu- BDS students back then and now? Well, see, I'm exposed to BDS students who want to learn things, you know, because I'm not teaching uh, in the dental school where I see, like, a BDS student from the view of what uh, the teachers they uh, there see. Right. But I think the people who want to learn now uh, who really want to learn now, who come forward to learn, are far more um, uh, focused hmm. than uh, in our times. Much uh, more focused. Yeah, the ones who want to learn. Yes, I'm not talking of the majority of them hmm. because that is not what I'm, uh, you know, exposed to. Right. right. Um, they're intelligent. They 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 are technologically very good. Hmm. I think they. They want to learn a lot. 
and they absorb things faster as right. well. So I think the group of people, the youngsters that I see, are pretty smart. So uh, of course, I don't know how much percentage of that uh, exists from the total number of people who do BDS. Mm. Uh, but yes, uh, so I don't, I don't think that they're any less smarter than what they were 20 years back. Okay. In fact, they're better. Okay. So all this culminated you opening your practice in Bandra in the early 90s. So, I mean, how was the experience of putting your own practice after coming back from the US? Yeah, so what I did was I, I opened three practices uh, in different locations in Mumbai. Um, one was in a polyclinic, hmm. one was where I lived, and one was in the Bandrakar area. And um, I did it uh, and I, I worked in all these three practices. And I kind of then decided that uh, my final practice is going to be in Bandra area. Hmm. And I could attract crowd from different areas, you know. So I kind of merged practices. Out of one of the practices was the practice I bought from an old dentist. Mm. So I also merged an old practice into a new practice. Mm. So I did several things to get a good start initially in my career. Mm. It was not purely depending upon my own uh, strengths. Mm. It was also on the support from a polyclinic as well as my own strengths right. and my own connections and also buying something out of an old 15-year-old practice. And I merged it into a much stronger practice. So I did my bit to start. Uh, and that's how I think you should build your careers. I don't think you should just go out there and start believing that you are the, 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 the greatest dentist ever. And you're going to change the way the world has been. Mm. Yeah, You have to be very intelligent in understanding how you want to uh, go to progressive, uh, you know, uh, position. Right. So when you started your practice, what was your vision for your own practice? And after, you know, almost three decades, do you think you've managed to achieve that, what you want, you know, set out to do? So initially it was my own private practice, but finally when we started the bigger practice together, mm. it was with my partner, Dr. Karad, Ashok Karad, who's an orthodontist, and we thought that we need to give a holistic solution mm. for family dentistry, okay. which includes people who are young kids as well as elderly population mm. and try to give benefits to everybody in the right. practice. And it should be interdisciplinary because we believe that there are multiple disciplines which can do best for the treatment right. uh, in the best interest of the patient. Mm. Um, and we wanted to integrate all of these things. And that's how we started the SmileCare brand. It was kind of a family dentistry brand, which would be a multidisciplinary treatment brand where different stakeholders would come in and try to give their best to the patient. And now when you think back, have you managed to achieve uh, what you thought? We also had two other visions that we will be a learning organization, keep learning ourselves, mm. and we will be research-based. Okay. So these three areas we focused and followed. So we did a lot of continuing education also, mm. because as you you have the onus of educating people, you also learn. Mm. So you have to be a student first to become a teacher. Right? Like you said. So so that so that's how it happens. And then research was another area of interest. So we started uh, working on research, clinical trials. So enhance our clinical abilities further. So I think uh, we have we have done a great job. Uh, of course. You could do better, but 
I think we have achieved quite a lot and we've been happy. We published a lot, uh, written textbooks. So I think I think it's been a great journey with Ashok. Also, uh, wanted to and ask... And the others, Vaishali and Pranati, all of them. <laughs> so that's what, I mean, you have a huge team. Uh, team over the years, you have multiple practices, multiple dental associates, uh, multiple dental assistants, uh, fr the front staff. So how important has been the role of your supporting staff to, in you know, you know, to make a successful practice? Oh, it's been great. I mean, I've got some great people working with me um, and they've stood through us for many years as right. well. Uh, of course, we have recruited new people all the time and we have trained people all the time. We have done a lot of things for the staff as well. You know? mm. uh, I think we are probably one of the initial organizations who also had provident fund and gratuity for the staff and we had that's a, amazing we yeah. had something for them for long term uh, uh, you know commitment also so we also have done a lot for the staff but the staff has been very good in supporting us in all our endeavors so i think uh, without a great uh, hr policy or good staff mm. it's not possible for you to uh, progress in the right direction so you can only do so much mm. as an individual but as a group if you want to work, you need people, and committed people. So it's a whole lot of management effort, right. as well as finding the right people. And I think it's the attitude of the people, right. more than the skill sets. If you have the right people with the attitude, then you're good. Right. So, uh, you know, what would your advice be for uh, clinicians out there who want to start their own practice? Uh, they're beginners, they want to. So, when, say like what you were when you were starting to plan your practice and you have multiple practices over a, you know three four practices over a span of three decades now so after learning so much from your experiences what would your advice be for clinicians out there who want to start their own practice and make a you know make a successful practice so i think the first thing uh, the clinicians um, uh, out there who want to start their practice have to understand is that it's dentistry is not only having clinical skills right it's also about uh, understanding how to manage the patient mm -hmm. and the business part of it to have sufficient funds for your practice so that you can upgrade your practice and right. develop it further so understanding how you want to go about it is the first thing right the second thing is yes where do you want to start a practice what kind of investments the have location. to be there in the, yeah. the location is very important. What kind of practice philosophy you want to follow mm. and uh, what kind of uh, clientele you want to deal with mm. is the second thing that you have to really focus on. The equipments. Now understand the equipments that you buy for your practice, right? So they have a whole range of equipments, which is the equipment which is used the most by the dentist in your practice which is occupied for the most amount of time, mm. it's the dental chair. Mm. And that dental chair cannot fall sick. It needs to be robust. Right. That's the backbone of your practice. Mm. True. Your best investment should go in the dental chair. Mm. Because eight hours a day, 365 days, whenever you work, without the dental chair, you can't work. Mm. So if you are investing in a, an appliance, which is so expensive, but you use it like three minutes a day or 10 minutes a day why, you know, versus a dental chair, which you work for eight hours a day. So you need to decide on where your investment should be. Right. 
and um, so i think uh, they have to understand all of these things and then make a roadmap for themselves so they have to understand the audience uh, the the clientele they have to understand the location and also know what skills they know absolutely how do you and that should be the so doing a sort kind of analysis mm. strength weaknesses opportunities and threats right they need to be understanding what are the skill sets that i really have mm. what are the ones that i really know it's not about a certificate of a course right what can i deliver right can i deliver this no i need help i'll take help no problem because i'm doing it in the best interest of the patient if you do everything in the best interest of the patient from the beginning of your career right you will develop your practice mm. it doesn't matter who delivers the work now so you have to find the right people to guide you and help you got it during your journey mm. so according to you what's the most important skill a clinician should have apart from obviously knowing dentistry apart from that dealing with patients you know behind a successful practice what's one skill which every dentist should have i think empathizing with the patient is the most important thing. empathy yeah so empathy uh, you know understanding what the patient is really looking for from right. you hmm. what are his limitations what are his expectations what are you going to deliver to him does it meet his expectations and you know how far does he want to go with the treatment how aggressive does he want the treatment to be right all of that to understand that is the most important thing because finally what are you going to do if you if you break the equation it's a customer it's a you know a doctor right mm. a doctor and a patient right and what is going to be delivered if the expectations are matching mm. right right because you empathize with him then you have a success strat mm. if that's not matching then there is a break so i think as a clinician you have to be very it's one thing if you ask me your expectations of delivery mm. has to match with the patient you're talking to because he's buying something from you and i mean in the in the sense of let's now go away from the dentist and say his customer is buying something because he has a certain expectation you're selling something to the customer right if what is buying is what he values with the price that he pays and you understand that and you make him understand that that's the game and it's so else. simple and like, there's uh, nothing else uh, there is nothing else there's this which works also you have taught i would say more than 1000 students over this last decade it's about 40000 students wow. so it's been a lot of students <laughs> yeah so you know after teaching so many students you know what has teaching taught you well every program i learned from a student you know oh, yeah. okay. so for me it's been learning all the time you know every student has taught me something what to do and what not to do both mm-hmm. so it's not about what to do always what not to do how you mess up your life because right. of doing certain right. things right. Right. and how you are intelligent mm. to move ahead who is the who is the most intelligent guy who can learn from as many people as he can just to move his career up Mm. really mm. he's the most intelligent guy right right and when you find some people like that who are intelligent they learn from everybody and they'll put all of that in their own activities i lo- i like to so do- see those guys also right and sometimes you find some people who you know are not doing the right thing because they are stuck in a certain things you know and you know you can only do so much true 
But so you learn from both sides. It's not always uh, all good things, right. but also you see some things which could improve and change. So as a teacher, you're always open to learn and not be in that, uh, like I said, galat femi that you are the smartest one no, out no, no, there. No, no, no. There is no galat femi when you are teaching right. because you learn a lot from mm. people, right? Uh, from different uh, walks of life, you know. Life is the best teacher, right? And everybody has gone through their life in a different manner. So I've learned a lot from a lot of people. I've learned from dentists who have lost everything in their life mm. and they've come up again. And it's, 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 it's difficult when you lose your family right. uh, to accidents. And you know, you are going through all of that and still you manage to come up. So everybody lives in his own situation. And he has the, he has the stability of mind and power and self-belief that he comes up again. There's right. so much to learn from everybody. You've also written a book uh, about AC dentistry. So, I mean, what was the whole thought process of writing a book? So, so I learned aesthetic dentistry. It was my passion um, all the time, you know. So, implants was something that I always did. Uh, along with that was aesthetic dentistry. And aesthetic dentistry, I published a book uh, about 2000. And one. Okay. So it's a long time back. Uh, and it was all about putting the entire subject in a very easy manner mm. from principles to different nuances of aesthetic dentistry. Mm. So, um, you know, that was my objective just to present it uh, in the way uh, I thought could benefit everybody. Right. Also, uh, you know, uh, so uh, your book was one of the first books. Uh, in dentistry which I received from a common friend about and that's how I came to know about you also uh, I mean I was way back in first year and I and one of uh, our common friends he gave me the book and that's how I got introduced to you and AC dentistry also and at that time I <laughs> honestly did not read the book but once I was close to my internship and was, you know started playing with composites and aesthetics I started to read the book and you know like what you said whatever uh, is uh, you know, it's valid for uh, to do on the patient clinically. Everything is written, nothing more, nothing less. And yeah, I mean, what people want is something which is not so exhaustive right. that they will never learn. So it has to be practical, it has to be meaningful, it has to be something that can be executed mm. by the dentist who's reading, you know. And all of us are not some big shot guys who can read so much. Mm. So we want minimal reading but still learn the relevant things. So I wanted to present it in that format. Uh, so that's how I, I presented the book. Got it. We also went through a bad phase, uh, a rough phase for dentists specifically during the pandemic. Yes. Where a lot of us had to shut down our practices for some time. Some had to shut down forever. So how did it affect you personally? Well, for me, um, like, uh, um, like everybody, you know, managing uh, uh, the people, uh, who were working for you was the biggest uh, task, mm. apart from, of course, managing the financial losses which could happen. But that was not a big thing because, you know, you've been practicing for several years, so right. you had to manage that. Uh, I think the most important thing for me was, uh, actually, it was a positive thing that I could think about. Uh, it, was a, it was a kind of a stop, right? You mm. had opportunity to rethink about what you were doing and what you could do in the future. Um, and um, I had already thought about Top Dog that time and Top Dog had started 
uh, you know, its initial steps. It was in a very nascent phase then. Um, so for me, it has worked out in my benefit. I could give a lot of time to creation of the Top Dog platform and the concepts of Top Dog and work a lot because I had a lot of free time. Mm. For the practice, it was uh, a tough time, mm. uh, but I also got a lot of calls from patients who were having tremendous pain mm. and we did open our clinics for them and I realized that we are uh, blessed to be so useful to people mm. that they really need our services and that's when I realized that dentistry is both essential uh, and as well as you know uh, enhancement kind of work and both are important in today's generation. Right. So, you know, that realization that, yes, we are in the right field uh, where we can benefit people was also there. You know? mm. So, I think everybody went through that. And I'm sorry that a lot of people had to close down their practices. Right. But I think they have to emerge again. They have to raise again and come back. So, the entire world came to a pause, but then it also gave us a chance to reflect on a lot of things. A lot of things, yes. And uh, like you said, you, your idea of Top Doc also, you, you got time to, you know, enhance that and think about it in much more depth. Uh, you know, and most of the world realized that a lot of things that they thought was important was not really important. That's right? true. I mean, I mean, you know, <laughs> a lot of your clothes you don't tend to wear and a lot of the things that you collect at home are hardly noticed, you know, right, right. those kind of things, you know. So people learned a lot, I guess. So I also wanted to ask you, uh, you know, there are a lot of issues which are neglected in dentistry today, specifically India. Uh, anything you want to talk on? Uh, well, <clears throat> I think um, uh, the education a bit, I mean, let me uh, throw some views on education of dentistry. And uh, although there are a lot of changes which are made, uh, it's like a copy-paste kind of thing. You, mm. know? You, you find it somewhere in the world and you want to implement it. The implementation is a big problem. So making ideas and putting it on paper, getting it passed is not the issue. Mm. The roadmap for implementation and execution and the people who can execute it right. and to give incentivize those guys mm. is the big issue. Mm. And that's the reason why things remain on paper. They can't be executed. And I realize that's the biggest drawback uh, in any field. Right. And of course, it's also in dentistry so, because, you know, people who are going to execute it mm. are not empowered, number one, and then they do not have uh, certain resources allotted right, to right. them to do it. So empowerment and resources, both are like So those things are what we can work on now. I think yes, if they work on that, because mm. that's the only way of saving and enhancing skill levels by educating people in the right way. So I think that's the one that everybody should work for. And according to you, what's the best part about being a dentist? Well, the best, there are three very important things that a dentist can, first of all, dentists can change people's life. Like uh, you said, because, yeah. you know, uh, you'll have a bad smile, you don't have confidence, you're going to have a very bad career in your life, the dentist makes good teeth and mm. you, you are happy again and you, you know, your personality shines and expands it. So that's a great thing. We have the power of changing people's life. Mm. Uh, we have the power of working in, at our convenience, if you really ask me. The hours can be your hours, <laughs> you can work whenever you want to and you can deliver things 
the way you want to because it's under your control mm. so if you want to do good for people you have an opportunity mm. in certain corporate organizations you might just do it for the money or something right here you can do it for money as well as wellness of people so that's a great thing great mm. opportunity so first you can change people's life then you can do good things earn money as well mm. yeah so that's the second thing it's a win win for both it's a win win for both and number 3 it's a good paying profession mm. if you manage it well if you understand the business of dentistry that it is, can also have some growth that is growth. very important like and, you said yeah if you manage it well manage it's a good it well, yeah. and you can support multiple families mm. suppose you have 10 15 20 people working with you you can support their families in whatever small or big way you can mm. so you are also contributing to the communities if you are educating a dentist if you are that's your passion you can always do free work for uh, underprivileged people mm. to showcase what you do which we did it's my care for 20 years right right we treated patients with full mouth implants without taking a single rupee for them wow so during our entire journey of 20 years we actually contributed to the society with good work mm. not just giving people money and that that was very gratifying experience so as a dentist you can do so much you can always go and do a social work kind of thing and and give benefits to of your skills to people right and you contribute to the economy also by and hiring you, and contribute to the economy so i mean as a dentist you you really can do a lot if you if you know what you can do true <laughs> otherwise you you just think you are you're useless and then it doesn't help right so your wife is a dentist your daughter is a dentist how's the dynamics at home is there a rule set by you where you don't talk dentistry Uh, at home or it's okay or, or how is it like having two more no, dentists I in, think a, there are, in a family so the family also has other members mm. i don't think we discuss a lot of dentistry at all at home okay. there are a few things that we have to discuss because it's related to asking questions and mm. stuff like that so it's not dentistry at all at my home beyond the point mm. it is everything else so uh, it's it's a very good environment and i i i've never worked in my life after 5 pm so it's year, decades that i have not worked so evenings have been a very different experience <laughs> i've been involved in reading writing you know learning being with family being with family as well as you know exercising so everything has been a part because so what I, you I just, don't miss out because what you just said might give heart attacks to a lot of doctors out there who like you said you don't work after 5 pm <laughs> i've not worked in clinical practice so for them uh, this I know so many who start their practice at 5 p.m. and go till midnight also. Yeah. So, but that's that's not how it should be. You need to, uh, you know, balance work and life. Yeah. Family, because your profession, your every day, uh, a day of your life is gone. Right. 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 So you you are reducing, you are minusing one day from your life, mm. uh, and uh, your family is uh, has has some kind of stake in what you do. Uh, uh with them mm-hmm. as well so you know it's it's not just going for a vacation a lot of people believe that oh you just work hard and then take a three day off with the family and that's it uh, it's not true that's right not, yeah. a day to day connect with everybody and uh, you know getting involved with what you do with the family is uh, i think more essential as well as so, much as <laughs> like you said and uh, people who have worked with you follow that and they i mean i mean that includes me also we have been Uh, that whole cycle where you actually take out time for family after five or six pm, it actually helps you mentally also as a as a clinician. You have ample time to do much more than dentistry. 
वी कम टू अ लास्ट मिलियन डॉलर क्वेश्चन विच इज इज बिकमिंग अ डेंटिस्ट वर्थ इट इन टू थाउजेंड ट्वेंटी टू अकॉर्डिंग टू यू एब्सोल्यूटली बिकॉज इफ यू लुक नाउ लेट्स लुक एट द ब्रॉडर पिक्चर ओके लेट्स लुक एट द इंडियन इकोनॉमी वी आर क्लोज टू अ इन्फ्लेक्शन पॉइंट इन टर्म्स ऑफ द जी डी पी सो लुक एट वॉट वी आर गोन the indian economy and the gdp is going to be completely different we are at inflection point so the the available money for medical and dental services is going to be more with people. okay so in in two and a half years time we'll have 30 to 35% more work hmm. than traditional growth so that kind of work is going to come to dentistry hmm. now who's going to get something out of the pie is the all the dentists who are practicing right right but the people who are doing good work long term work hmm. they are going to be selected as better options hmm. so eventually to get better is going to be important but of course to become a dentist is good following new methods of getting what you want to do right an intelligent way of maneuvering your career so that has to be the the mantra for success rather than oh i want to do implant dentistry i want to do prosthetic dentistry i want to do orthodontics the the mantra is how intelligent are you working your career and if you can do that right it's a great career i mean I, there's no doubt about it it's a potential career everybody eats every day right <laughs> you need teeth to eat mm. and there are 1 billion plus mouths in the in the in the country right so you have a great opportunity okay that answers my uh, burning question which i had uh, so we come to our last section that's the rap- rapid fire section where i ask you questions and you have to answer as fast as possible so we'll start uh, your favorite bds posting always oral surgery okay and why uh, i used to love surgery okay bds time but of course that's it but i i also like special surgery which was a, a mixture of all departments and i was posted there as a intern uh, it is to be in government dental college where because uh, there's something new which elite, no elite people is to be brought and mm. everything could be done there you know mm. so it was like an intern with a responsible doctor there okay. and used to run that clinic separately it was okay. called special surgery mm. and the allotment was done by the endodontic department that time you know mm. so i was also in special surgery so two two interesting postings were oral surgery and special surgery. okay uh, your favorite pastime activity something when you're not doing dentistry well i love to walk i walk. like to walk yeah even abroad i like to walk wherever i am so some kind of walking exercise looking around uh, you know uh, getting acquainted with the place uh, excites me you know it's it's both so i like to walk that's my favorite activity is pastime mm-hmm. on a regular basis uh, of course i love uh, uh, wildlife uh, sightings and uh, you know i i have been doing this since 35 years wow uh, so um, so i've traveled most of the country abroad uh, you know i have i like to be in the jungle wildlife yes yes like to be uh, and i've done several of those safaris all my life you know so uh, that's been my passion Okay, your hidden talent. Well, I can sing pretty okay. 
I can act pretty okay. So on a scale of uh, one to five, how much would you rate your singing? Uh, right now, sense? maybe with my age and all, maybe it's a three out of a five. You know, but that's that. Yeah, that's it's, very it's, good. It's still okay. I can I can manage to uh, get the crowd a little bit uh, uh, shocked that <laughs> okay. you could you could sing. So that's that's okay. Um, uh, so these are two uh, and uh, and acting. Uh, yeah, I can act. I mean, I can act because I can uh, you know kind of. I can act as if I'm a, I'm Arab, you know, <laughs> easily. So I can just uh, oh, you know mimic someone, mimic immediately as an and act also, uh, put an act together for that. So that's been that's a part of wonderful. Your favorite dental instrument? Um, I think my favorite dental instrument is a dental mirror. Dental mirror? Yes. Okay. Because I see what I see everything. Uh, and I think when I see things, mm. I, I know the next part of it. Okay. So uh, I'm more of a person who can see things in the mouth. Okay. Your favorite place in Mumbai? Favorite place? Uh, means any, any place? Any place, which you, I mean, it can be a restaurant, it can be a park, it can be a museum, oh. it can be a theater. Your favorite place in Mumbai? I love South Bombay. I, like, I mean, it's not a place. I just like to be around Marine Drive and Kolaba area. I love the that so the Taj. I love to be. I I love to walk those areas. Do you still go? I mean, yes, once in a while. I love to do that. Now, last few years I haven't been, mm -hmm. but otherwise I would take off with my wife on a Sunday uh, morning, and I I would return back in the evening. Wow, uh, you know. So that was my favorite thing to do. You know, just go around. Okay, uh, one dental instrument or equipment which you regret buying or you have stopped using. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are several of them which I stopped using or regret buying because you buy out of passion sometimes. You don't understand the utilization of it at that point and related to your practice. Right. Um, so, I I got a motorized endodontic kit when okay. it was absolutely in the premature state, mm -hmm. uh, the initial parts. And I I tried, started using it on a case. In those days, I used to do some endodontic treatment. This was years back. I got it and uh, I messed up the case and I, I just stopped using it because I didn't know what I was doing, maybe. Mm. This is several years back. Initially, in the US, when it was kind of introduced, you know, I was crazy enough to buy that. Okay. Any recent purchase which you think... I mean, you've tried and you've stopped using... Or no, I think now, I think... Everything's more or less to your liking. Yes, and you also always take two steps back and decide what to buy. And only if you can implement it, you buy it. So now I think it's over yeah. the years you realize what you want to do. Your favorite restaurant in Mumbai? The Thai Pavilion. The I, Thai Pavilion? Yes, it's, uh, it's one of my... I don't go there so often, uh, but I like it. Any specific dish, if you can suggest what... Or you try... I mean, you go well, there... Uh, I like sushis now, mm -hmm. so I think uh, sushi becomes like, it always think of a sushi because I like sushis, but um, otherwise I like a lot of food, so okay. it's not like one specific dish. So we'll take uh, sushi as your answer? Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. right now that's what I'm loving to do. Okay. One thing you wish to change in dentistry in India? Um, I think... Dentistry profession and managing the profession, the, the, the managed care 
or the management of a dental practice, mm-hmm. the way it should be done, should get standardized soon. Okay. So that then you will really see the growth of dentistry mm. and you can even attract insurance for the dental market. The problem is there is no uh, standardization in management. And that's the reason why insurance players also can't decide on mm. how they want to play around with this uh, area. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so once you have a standardization, you can start having dental insurance. And then I think it's a win for everyone. It's a, yeah, and it's a win for the dentist. It's a win for the patients, patients also yeah. to some extent. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you have to manage the insurance guys well, they have to manage it also well. And you know, it's it's a it's a good industry growth also. Okay. Last one, if you were not a dentist, what would you be? Uh, I think possibly I would have been an entrepreneur doing something else. Uh, but whatever I would do, it should benefit the customers uh, positively and they could take their life further. So I would choose any line which does that, not just uh, selling alcohol or doing something like that. Any special inclination to any field where, I mean, you could do your entrepreneurship? Uh, Well, I'm long term and if I do well in the next uh, few years, uh, I want to do something uh, for the benefit of the underprivileged people in a big way. Okay. Um, and I would like to do entrepreneurship as a social responsibility. But I want to do it so that it's not about trying to get money mm-hmm. and using that money for somebody else, but to generate some revenues and from the revenues uh, benefit the underprivileged people, especially either it could be the old age population or the people who are really uh, uh, underprivileged because of certain, you know, unfortunate things like I'm family sure, I'm sure or something it else. will happen eventually uh, yeah i mean that, that's the objective so we mm-hmm. uh, want to do that uh, as a as a social endeavor mm-hmm. but it should be run like a company understood, understood. and so so people who work will get the benefit but the end result is benefiting the people people yeah so yeah. giving giving back to the uh, society as much as in, in, in an organized manner right what india would really Need. Be need, you know. Mm. So, something like that. Done. That's about it, Dr. Pari. Thank you so much. Thank for you, Ari, for no, inviting me today. No, and no, it's no. been nice. It, it, it was exciting to it's, be it's, here today. It's, it's our pleasure. It's our privilege. Uh, you took out your valuable time. I mean, we know your schedule. It's chock block And then you could, you know, take out time for this small session. Hopefully, we'll again have you for uh, more specific uh, topics. But... Uh, just through this podcast, uh, me and more people out there who look up to you will know more about your life, your journey. And it's been uh, an exciting one for you and hopefully it continues. And so thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. And hopefully again, we'll have you soon. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. So Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Bye. Good. Perfect. How did you like it? <laughs> <laughs> जो पूछा है उसका जवाब